0: Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you here. Glad you're joining us today for Bible Quest. As you can already tell, we have Jeff Smelser from Exton, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, I don't know why
1: I did that. I just thought, let's do a little different today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the intro. Pump me up. All right. Uh, also joining us, we've got Drew DeGrado joining us from Homesdale, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Drew? All
2: right, Chase. Good to see you. Good to see you, Jeff. I mean, it's not Tuesday. This is Wednesday. Wednesday edition. Did I say Tuesday edition? No, but I'm thinking Tuesday, but you're right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Drew,
0: of course, from the Tuesday edition. Uh, Joe Works is unable to join us today. Uh, He had something come up, so Lord willing, we'll see him next week. But today we're going to be talking about repentance, and in particular, pictures of repentance and discussing what it means to repent. And uh, we're encouraging comments from the viewers, uh, and as we progress here. I'll let you all know in particular what we're looking for. Um, but guys, when we talk about repentance, what comes to your all's minds? Well, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind is what
1: I hear coming to other people's minds. You know, yeah, I, yeah. So, I talk to people and somebody will say, Oh, he went forward and repented. Um, and what they mean is he went forward and confessed sin and asked people to forgive him. But if you know, if we understand repentance the way it's described in the Bible, that would be something he did in his heart before he ever went forward before the brethren and said, oh, "I've done something wrong."
0: Yeah, yeah, I think anytime when, especially teachers of the Bible uh, think about Bible terms, we often think about some of the definitions we hear that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and with repentance, I know, I know for me personally, uh, if you if you were to ask somebody. What does repentance mean? One of the answers you may get is, oh, well, it means to be very, very sorry for what you've done. That's a popular one. Yeah. Have, had, Drew, uh, have you ever experienced that?
2: Yeah, I've heard that too. And it does incorporate being sorry, but it goes beyond that. It's actually changing your mind,
0: changing your thinking. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and that, that's kind of what we're here to talk about um, this afternoon is, is what does the Bible have to say about repentance? Um, and guys, if you were going to define that using Scripture, where would you go?
1: You know, uh, I like, to, we, 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 could, we could just go to the Word and look up the meaning of the Word that's translated repent or repentance, and maybe we'll do that in a second. But I actually uh, like to turn to a couple of passages that, that show what repentance is, is and is not. And if I sure. can get this up here and share this screen, I'll do this real quickly. So do you all see a screen here that says repentance? What is repentance? I see it. All right. So when we think about repentance, a lot of people think it's when you change actions, when you do something differently. And certainly that's the result of repentance. The fact is you can change your actions without repenting. Um, But in Matthew, the third chapter in verse eight, John the Baptist challenged people to bring forth fruit worthy of, of repentance, the fruit is the, the prod product or the produce it 's what 's produced by the repentance, and what he was challenging them to do was to change their ways but but clearly, in that passage, the change of ways or the change of action is the result of repentance. on the other hand there 's an uh, idea that you mentioned a moment ago, chase that being uh, that repenting is is being sorrowful, and in second Corinthians the seventh chapter. And verse ten, Paul talks about a repentance that is a godly repentance because it produces—I'm um, sorry—a sorrow that is a godly sorrow because it produces repentance. I'll—I'll I'll read that passage. Sure. Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse ten: Godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation. So. You can and he talks in the same context about a sorrow of the world that doesn't lead to salvation it doesn't produce repentance but here's the point: repentance is not being sorrowful it's produced by sorrow is produced by godly sorrow, and it's not the change of action it leads to change of action, so it comes in between being sorrowful, the grief and the fruit of the repentance and and that would then necessarily be. Uh, well, the word translated repentance is metanoia, which is, if you break it down in its parts, it comes from two words that mean after mind. And, the the idea is that the mind you have after a change or the change of mind or the changed heart. Yeah. So sorrow leads to a changed heart that leads to changed actions, but it's that
0: inward change
1: of heart that is repentance.
0: That's a really, really great way to sum that up. Um, And if if our viewers are still in Matthew, to kind of put what Jeff put together here in view, uh, look at a picture of repentance in looking over at the end of Matthew. uh, When you get to the Garden of Gethsemane, or excuse me, uh, when you get to the Lord's Supper where it's instituted, and Peter, of course, promises and and knows for a fact he's not going to fall away. And Jesus says, uh, you know, after a rooster crows uh, three times, you've denied me. Or after you've denied me three times, a rooster will crow. Well, what I'm trying to get at is that at the end of chapter 26, and this this hit me the first time I realized this, you have the, the instance where Peter denies Christ. And in verse 75, after that third denial, it says, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Mm-hmm. What, what what would you have there? What What end of that would you call that? What? I'm sorry. I didn't catch the question. What? End, end, end of that? Yeah. End of the, the scale or the spectrum you gave earlier on your slide. Oh,
1: oh, well, uh, let's see. Get, give me the verse where you were again. You were in Matthew 26, where Peter went bitterly. Were you look at Matthew's account? Yeah, Matthew 26, 75. Okay, right. Um, knowing the rest, well, if I just have that much, I would say he's on the left end of that.
0: He's yeah, sorry. exactly. That's exactly right. Um, and then... Just go down a few more verses into chapter 27, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: starting in verse 3. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See two of that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. Well, in verse 3, it also says that, Judas felt remorse.
1: Yeah, he's, he's also sorrowful. And to be sure, even though some translations actually say Judas repented, it, it is a different word here than the word we were talking about a moment ago. But you have two guys, both of whom are sorrowful. It's not just the being sorrowful that is repentance. Judas didn't really repent. I think that when we know the rest of the story, we know that Peter actually does. But I think your point is well taken. It's more than just being sorrowful because Judas was sorrowful.
0: That's exactly right. And that's the point I'm trying to get at. Judas had the sorrow and so did Peter. But I think it's that Second Corinthians 7 passage playing out in live action. Peter had godly sorrow uh, because you see the actions he goes on to take. And his change of heart and his change of mind. And Judas, of course, had worldly sorrow.
1: Hey, maybe we can uh, ask our viewers if they have ideas of uh, or remember passages in the Bible where somebody does have that inward change that would illustrate repentance, and then while we're asking our viewers to come up with that, maybe I could ask you guys, can you think of a guy whom the Bible describes as exceedingly sorrowful, but who did not repent? He went away exceedingly sorrowful. A rich
0: ruler. I think you're talking about Mark the tenth chapter.
1: Okay, yeah, both you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, although um,
0: I usually turn to Matthew the nineteenth chapter, but oh, okay.
1: it didn't right. did mark the tenth chapter too. So
0: go there. Uh, yeah, sure. So over in Mark chapter ten, I think this is this is a great passage to talk about. Um, Jesus runs into this young man who. Upon first glance would be sincere uh, in wanting to do what's right. And Jesus uh, asks him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he, he repeats the commandments to him. And this young man says, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And Jesus said, there is one thing you lack. What did he tell him, Jeff? He said, go and sell all that you
1: have and give it to the poor, which is kind of interesting. If he lacks something, why does he need to sell everything? Because what he lacked was he lacked that penitent heart, that heart that had submitted itself to the will of God, said, I'm going to do God's will above all else.
0: Yeah. So, and I, I, think, I think your point is well received that in verse 22, at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He wasn't at that point of repentance. He wasn't at that point of changing his mindset. Um, and so I think this is a great example and a great story of repentance. Um, and if, again, like Jeff said, if there are any viewers who are thinking of any passages in particular that show repentance, comment those, and we'd like to discuss those and take a look at those.
2: I have a question on the changing mind part and the sorrowful part. Um, what's the, this is a, would be a Hebrew word though in, in Exodus Jeff, we're in Exodus 32,
1: mm-hmm.
2: verse 14. And the Lord, well, my translation says the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. In other words, that was when Moses interceded and said, Lord, you don't want to really destroy these people. What are the Egyptians going to say? And so the Lord changed his mind, right?
1: Yeah. So is, uh, that,
2: the same, is that the same thing? Is that repent there? Is that the same word?
1: Uh, Of course, as you said, it's going to be Hebrew, and as you know, I know very little about Hebrew, um, but I can look it up, and and, uh, I could certainly tell you what word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and I'll do that in just a second, but I was going to pull out. You said Exodus 32, 14, uh, 14, right?
2: Yeah, 14. While you're doing that, the the Hebrew word that I have, according because I've got the the Hebrew words already there for me, so I don't have to know anything about them, but it says Naham, N-A-H-A-M. Or
1: okay. now. All right. Um, you know, the, and the, and the new American, I'm sorry, the new American standard said, well, it's different translations. I think you read from the English standard version, the Lord relented. Yes. The right. King, the King James says the Lord repented. The new American standard says the Lord changed his mind. Um, and. But um,
2: uh, so that would be all in that same context then.
1: Uh, it certainly has to do with a change. I, I think that what we have here, though, is a difference than when we talk about, well, there's a passage in Acts chapter 20 in verse 17 that'll help me make the point I want to make. that will make a difference between what we see here and what we're talking about in terms of New Testament repentance. In Acts chapter 20, did I say verse 17? It's actually down in... Um, verse 21, Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. And Paul is talking with the elders of the church in uh, in Ephesus. He's meeting with them in Miletus. And he says, uh, he reminds them how he was with them, teaching publicly and from house to house. And then he says in verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about repentance, that is required for salvation, we think of it as repentance from something, a change of mind away from something and specifically away from sin. And that it is, but it's really also a change of mind towards something. It's a change of mind toward God. This is repentance toward God. And so the repentance that we're really talking about, you could even describe it this way. It's, you know, it's in first Peter chapter four, uh, verse three, I think it is. Peter says that you know the time past was sufficient to do uh, the lust of men, but now we need to do the will of God. So it's a change from doing my will, or a change having a mind focused on what I want to to mind toward God, focused on God. So when we talk about God having a change of mind or a change of heart, change of plans uh, in a passage like Exodus chapter thirty-two, uh, that's a little different because. The repentance that we're describing in the New Testament is a is a change of mind toward God, and God is not changing from doing His will to doing somebody else's will in the Old Testament.
2: No, and I was yeah, I wasn't applying. I was just trying to get to the context, or to the understanding of what that means. to change uh, quite different than than for us in our in the New Testament.
1: So it it is the idea of change, and but it is. Specifically, when we're talking about the repentance that is required, like 2 Corinthians 7, the repentance that is unto salvation, that is worked or produced by godly sorrow, um, it is going to be a change of heart from doing my own will to doing God's will,
0: that inward change. Yeah. Uh, along these lines, gentlemen, we have a comment from someone you might know, Jeff. Her name is Libby. Uh, she comments on Facebook and says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I shall be clean. Create me a new heart from Psalm 51. And uh, that is a that is a great section of text to go to, to talk about having a penitent heart and that, that change in heart. Um, just in the context of that, reminding everyone, in 2 Samuel 12, after David has sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan comes to him with this parable of the ewe lamb, after David realizes that he's the man in the parable, David in Second Samuel chapter twelve, in verse, uh, well, in verse thirteen, David says to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." And then, of course, it's also always helpful to go over Psalm fifty-one after that, Um, and all those things Libby pointed out in Psalm fifty-one, I think, would demonstrate. David's change of mind and understanding that it, it is time to change and uh not only ask for forgiveness and to have a clean heart but to change the whole way he's thinking about things and create it as his life goes on.
1: Right, that and she quotes the part created me a new heart. This is somebody who is wanting to be different inwardly than he was when he committed the sin with Bathsheba. Yeah, that's right.
2: So Jeff um, did, did I hear you say before maybe it was or Chase when you said that so repentance Is involved and is required in salvation.
0: Yeah, I I can't remember if I said that or if Jeff said that. Um, But you know what? The important thing is the Bible says that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was about to say. This is a good segue into Acts the second chapter. (laughs) Uh, When you get over to Acts the second chapter, Peter preaching this first sermon uh, sums it up pretty well. That the reason Jesus has died is because of the people and because their sin. The men are cut to the heart, it says in verse 37. Uh, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? You know, they're confronted with this sin of theirs. They're confronted with the fact that they have murdered and killed the Messiah of the Old Testament, and now that was here. And so they're asking, well, what do we do about this? How do we get ourselves out of this hole? And Peter says to them, number one, repent. The Bible says repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the order in which we see this is really important, guys. And why would I say that?
1: Well, um, (laughs) the order is you have to have a change of heart before the baptism is going to mean anything. If you get dunked in water, but you haven't had a change of heart, you're not really... Um, being baptized for the remission of sins. You're not becoming a part of Christ.
0: And and doesn't that just make sense? Um, What what good is it going to do you to be baptized and turn your life over to Christ if you're not willing to live in a way that would honor Christ from that point on? Right. You need to have a change of mindset before this takes place and before this happens. Isn't it Uh, interesting
2: too, because before those two things, belief is necessary these guys already believed it they knew it they knew what they did they believed so because the reason i'm going there because i've heard it say that all you have to do is believe you don't do anything
0: else but yeah that's a good point It's, it's implied here that they would have been believing in god and believing in jesus
2: right and so then they acted on that belief
0: by repenting exactly uh that that's right and This isn't a popular thing that's taught anymore, to to repent and be baptized. Uh, And I I think in in general, the Lord's Church, um, even today, I think, has a hard time pushing the idea of repentance. Sometimes we're really good at getting people to the water, uh, but from that point on, we don't see them ever again. We really need to push this point of repentance. Um, You can contrast this in Acts 2, 37 and 38, just a chapter over in chapter 3, In verse 19, uh, when Peter is talking to these people after healing this lame beggar, uh, Peter says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, guys, what what doesn't Peter include there that he did in chapter 2? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, oh, I was just going to say one thing he doesn't include here is, is the idea of baptism and a lot a lot of people would run to this verse and say, "See, you don't need to be baptized but what is Peter's point in Acts the third chapter and verse 19? Why is he saying this? I'm sorry I was I, I,
1: you're going to have to repeat the question for me I was I, I stumbled on a curiosity I was checking. I'll tell you guys about in a second, but go ahead.
0: Sure. So all I all I'm trying to point out here in Acts the third chapter and verse nineteen, uh, Peter says repent and return. Some translations say repent and convert. And uh, just trying to line that up with what's said in Acts two thirty eight. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yes. Um,
1: so and what?
0: Return. So what he doesn't mention specifically in Acts three, I guess that you're getting at, is
1: to be baptized. Right. Yeah. So what he says is is uh, repent and be converted or another translation might be repent and turn again in acts three nineteen, mm-hmm. or turn back. And so what you have there is the idea of a, of an inward change and then an outward action that's produced by it. In Acts chapter two and verse 38, the specific outward action is, is being baptized. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Jeff, what do you got for us? Well, Drew, you were asking about that passage in Exodus thirty two fourteen, And of course, you know, there's the Hebrew, but then I had mentioned that the, there's a Greek translation and um, that we especially think of the Septuagint as a Greek translation of the old Testament scriptures. And so you got me curious what word is used in the Greek translation and the Septuagint translators actually did something uh, kind of different with that passage. Instead of using a word that would have anything to do with a change of heart or anything like that in the sense of turning, changing mind. Well, it, it well, I'll just tell you what it says. It uses a word that means something like propitiate. And so it says the Lord was propitiated concerning the evil that he had said he would do. And uh, so it's a little different idea there in the Greek translation. Along and of with what I
2: asked, I never heard that. That's very yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, but that's the, that's the
0: way the Septuagint handles it.
1: Okay, so.
2: good.
0: Very good. Okay, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and turn our Bibles over to Second Chronicles 29. I, I just want to make this point real quick. Uh, as long as we're looking at pictures of repentance in the Bible, Second uh, Chronicles 29. And again, I would encourage any of our viewers if you think of any passages or stories that remind you and uh, show a picture of repentance, comment those, and we'll be sure to discuss those. Second uh, Chronicles the 29th chapter. You have King Hezekiah uh, coming in. And his intentions are to restore the temple in order that the people may worship in it and the priests may serve in it. And in Second Chronicles 29, in verse 5, it says, Then he said to them, Listen to me, O Levite, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and have turned their backs. Um, so Hezekiah's admonition to them is to not go in and start plastering over everything that was already in the temple, but rather he tells them that they have to carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. Mm-hmm in order for it to be holy again.
1: Yeah. And then when we come down to verse 31, uh, Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. So in order to be in a position where I can be acceptable to God and offer my sacrifices, my offerings to the Lord, and they be accepted, I think you're making a, a very strong point here. I have to, first of all, purge myself of those things that are in my heart that are ungodly. Now, that doesn't mean I can purge myself of my sin. I'm not saying that at all. Jesus Christ is, is the one who can take away my sin by his death on the cross. But going back to Acts 2 and verse 38, repent and be baptized. The being baptized, Paul will later argue, is into Christ's death. That's the point at which I become connected with the death of Christ, where my sins are forgiven. But before that, I have to have an inward change. Um, You know, I run into this. Guys, maybe you've run into this too. People who don't believe baptism is significant Uh, they think my idea is, well, you can just be saved by some empty ritual, getting dunked in water. And they're trying to tell me, no, 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 no. Salvation requires a conversion, something inward, and it does. But the inward conversion is the repentance, and that's before the salvation. And the inward conversion, the change of heart, doesn't take away my sin. It's an inward change, so I purge from myself my own Uh, desires to sin, but that doesn't save me. If that saved me, that would indeed be the idea that I'm saved by my own goodness. I'd be saved by my own works. I'm not. I I still am guilty of all the things that I've done wrong, and I'm totally dependent upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ for, for taking away the guilt of my sin. And so I have to have that inward change, but then... For me to be saved, I have to be united with Christ's death, buried, through, buried with Christ in baptism so that my sins are atoned for. So repent, inward change, be baptized, connected with the death of Jesus that saves you.
0: Yeah, and that makes perfect sense uh, and adds up what Jesus said in Mark eight thirty four: If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're denying ourselves and our wants and what we want, and we're changing that mindset to what Jesus wants and what God wants. Uh, You know, Chase, you mentioned Hezekiah.
1: He is is, uh, one of the two kings most famously known for trying to turn the nation around. When the nation of Israel would go into idolatry, um, and then you have a king come along, and he says, we're going to get rid of these idols. We're going to worship the true God, Hezekiah famously.
0: But there's another king after that
1: who famously did the same thing, right?
0: Yeah, there is. Just a couple chapters later in 2 Chronicles, there is King Josiah. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah. What do you have to say about Josiah, Jeff? Well, you know, you go through the
1: account there in Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter, and and it just says wonderful things about um, the change that Josiah brought to the nation. Um, and you read things like this in verse 31 of Second Chronicles 34. The king, this would be Josiah, stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, and with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. He is making a commitment I'm going to do the Lord's will. And, and you could say that's a repentance. That's a inward resolve. And then he says, it says in verse 32, moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. So not only did he resolve to to do God's will, he made those who were his subjects do God's will, and they did it. But interestingly, you can't say, by and large, they repented. They changed outwardly, but what you don't see in them is an inward change, and that becomes clear in Jeremiah. And so let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 3 that talks about what was going on in the days of Josiah the king. And it's Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 6. The Lord said to me, in the days of Josiah the king. uh, And then it talks about the northern kingdom of Israel and what uh, unfaithfulness they were guilty of and what happened to them as a result, how they were punished. And then it says, her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. The point being, you would think that the southern kingdom would look at the, the example, what happened to Israel because of their sin, and say, we're not going to make that same mistake. And he's saying, you know what, but they didn't get the lesson. And it says then in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse uh, 10, in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception. So you've got Josiah, who is inwardly convicted. I'm going to do the right thing. And he made his subjects, the people of Judah, do the right thing. I would say he, he repented. But they, even though they changed outwardly, didn't because their heart wasn't in
0: it. So are you telling me that repentance is based off of an individual's choice, not a group as a whole? Yes, that's a good point.
1: I, I, I can't just be part of a group and that group starts doing the right thing. And, well, I'm going along with them and assume that that means I've repented. Repentance is a change of heart in me. Drew, you started to say something.
2: Yeah, in my translation, it says, but in pretense, they in pretense. return to him.
1: So they did, me- do it. they
2: did do some kind of a returning, but it wasn't yeah. that inward what you were talking about.
0: Exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Huh, very good. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good parallel passage to use with the end of Second Chronicles. So that, that's really helpful.
2: Wow! So uh, that puts a I, I'll go back to what we were talking about before. So the our friends who'd say that you're saved by faith alone, Scripture mm-hmm. says that, term, but they believe that. Could that then be a person that believes in faith alone is going to God in pretense?
1: so you know people people mean all sorts of things when they say you're saved by faith alone and a lot of people don't even know what they mean when they say you're saved by faith alone they don't they haven't figured out what they mean by faith but in its simplest form um yeah they there are people who have the idea they can go about living their life however they want and um they're all they have to do is just believe in jesus say god i trust you're going to save me and uh and that's enough. And then they can do whatever they want. And some of those people will say, Oh no, no, what will happen is then the Holy Spirit will come on me and change me. But you know what? Repentance, while I'm convicted by the Spirit, uh, repentance is my choice to, to turn, to change my heart. It's not something that happens to me. You know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter commanded, repent and be baptized, every one of you. He didn't say, Hey. Uh, people believe and hang around and something will happen to you and you'll be made to repent. No, he commanded them to repent. This
2: is quite impressive. Uh, As I do on Tuesday, I'm going to say here today, a lot of our viewers or audience that listen, listen to our podcast. And so Uh I'd like to invite our audience and the audience live audience today, but also any of you in our podcast who have that belief of, Faith without requiring anything else. I'd like to hear from you. Go to BibleQuest.tv uh, when you're done listening to the program and give us some of your thoughts and feedbacks. And then and Jeff will be talking about this in future Wednesday programs.
1: Yeah, could do it. Um, uh, this, no, sorry, Chase, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to move on to the next segment, but please go, go right ahead. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to make one mention of another picture of repentance, and then I want us, for the last 15 minutes, look at some application. Uh, if you look over at Ezekiel the 14th chapter, this is a time in Israel's history that uh, Judah is in captivity in Babylon, and the elders are coming to Ezekiel to sit down before him and, and talk to him. And God, through Ezekiel, says something to these elders of Israel that I think is really interesting. He says to Ezekiel What's re- about the elders, What's that? What's your reference? Ezekiel 14. What verse? Verse 3, starting in verse 3. Okay. It says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Uh, God comes to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is going to be saying this to the elders, that God needs you to change, and the fact that you have these idols in your face is a barrier between you and God. Look over at verse 6 of that same chapter. God continues and he says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. And this goes to what Jeff was saying earlier about repentance being more than just turning away from those things. It's changing your mind. And I think this is a good verse that illustrates that. He doesn't just say repent. He does say repent and turn from your idols but that word repent is instilling in them an, a mindset change as well. I call attention there to that
1: expression, idols in their heart. That's, that's what needs to change, what's in their heart. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Mortify or put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I can be guilty of an idolatry because of what's going on in my heart, that covetousness. And, uh, you know, outwardly, I may not be doing anything that's conspicuously wrong, but I, I need to have a change of
0: heart that is repentance if that's the case. Yeah, very good. Okay, guys, for the rest of the time, I, I want to ask a question. In your experience in talking to others, or at least in your own lives as well, When does it seem for others or for yourself the hardest to repent? When and how in someone's life, if something's going on, is it the hardest for them to truly repent of sin? When you don't want to.
1: Yes. (laughs) But, But there are specific scenarios where we often see people don't want to repent. And maybe you have in mind some of
0: those. I do. Um, One in particular I'm thinking about is when it has to do with a marriage relationship. Um, And what might I mean by that, guys?
1: Well, you know, I was talking, I had a a Bible study this morning or last night. Oh, it was yesterday afternoon. Had a Bible study yesterday afternoon with uh, some uh, college students. And we were talking about the idea. I don't remember how we got to it, but one of the questions came up. What's the difference between covetousness and adultery and fornication? So we were talking about some of those words, and one question led to another. And um, so then we ended up with the question on the table, what about somebody who divorces his wife, which is a wrong thing to do? Uh, Jesus condemned divorce, but he gets the divorce, and now he marries somebody else. Um, What about that? And, of course, Jesus addresses that in Matthew, the 19th chapter, among other places. And in Matthew, the 19th chapter, verse 9, he says, Whosoever puts away his wife, except for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And so, I'm, you know, a man may put away his wife, and in the eyes of the law, he's divorced, and, and then he finds somebody new, and he marries her, and in the eyes of the law, he's married. Jesus said, it's adultery. And what is adultery? It's that sexual relationship between two people when at least one of them is still bound by God to another. Well, this man has put away his true wife, uh, and the Lord said not for, him, for him not to do that. And the Lord goes so far as to say, when you marry somebody else, you're actually committing adultery. The implication being you're still bound to that first wife. So here's the point. Whenever he and his second wife are intimate together, he is committing the sexual sin of adultery. And repentance is not the change of action. It's the change of heart. But that change of heart is going to produce fruit. It's going to require a different action where I have the ability to change my action. And he has the ability to change that action. In other words, put it very plainly, if he's going to repent and have a change of action, he needs to quit being with that second woman.
0: You know, and if I'm not mistaken, Jeff and Drew, there is an actual instance of this in the New Testament. Am I right? There is. There is. Yeah, and in Mark, the sixth chapter, John the Baptist, this is the very reason he's got his head cut off and served on a silver platter because he went to Herod and told him that he has his brother Philip's wife. And in Mark six eighteen. John said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Yeah. Although they had been married, yeah. it was wrong. And, and people will
1: try to, they'll argue around that, and they'll try to make a distinction between that scenario and scenarios today. They'll say, well, the reason his relationship was wrong had nothing to do with the fact that Herodias was divorced, Herodias being the wife. Uh, she'd had a previous husband, namely Herod's brother, um, but they'll say the reason was is because it was an incestuous relationship, something like that. doesn't change the point. The point is under the law, uh, not the law of Moses, but under the laws of the time, they were married, and yet John said, you can't have her. You've got, to, you've got to walk away from that. Today, people want to rely on the fact, well, we're already married, so we can't change that. John said, you need to change that. Now, I will say this, Chase, Drew, there are things where this person has sinned and does not have the ability to change what they did, and yet they can repent. True. Yes. Suppose you kill somebody. David had Uriah killed. Mm-hmm. Could he undo that? No. He He could not undo that, but he could repent, couldn't he? He could repent, and he did. Because you could have that inward change of heart and that would then lead him to act differently in a similar situation in the future.
0: And there was still a physical consequence to that sin. There was,
1: it well. was, but in the case of adultery where I've, I've put away my wife and I've married somebody else. Uh, if I have that inward change of heart, then, you know, we said David presented with the same situation in the future would not do it. Well, if, if I come home to this woman who is really not, not mine, I, I really belong to another woman. Yes, the law says I've married this new woman, but if I've repented and had a change of heart, then I'm, I'm not going to be with her again.
0: Yeah. And, and, the, and the, like we're talking about, this is such a hard and touchy situation for somebody is because they probably do love that spouse. Yep. And what it really comes down to, Jeff, and I, I think this is true, is someone has to make the decision if they love the Lord more than they love that person. And that is a hard place for someone to be in. It is, but you know,
1: um, Jesus called upon all of us to love the Lord first. You know, in Matthew, the 10th chapter, he said some very challenging things. He said um, that he came not to send peace on the earth, but a sword and uh, to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against his mother. Of course, he's not saying I came with a view to causing people to hate one another, but his demand that everyone put him first is going to result in some people being at odds with one another because you're going to have a close relation who doesn't want to serve the Lord with you. And so Jesus said this in verse 37, "He that loves father or mother, um, he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me." And he that does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Sorry about the phone call there.
0: Uh, if you were sorry, there would be a change in, in action. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> really I mean, I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay. Uh. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. No one, no one, nowhere in the new Testament where we promised that Christianity was going to be an easy thing and an easy walk of life. In fact, it was going to require self-discipline and self-denial in order to follow after the Lord. And, and sometimes that's going to exhibit itself in having to leave an unlawful marriage. I've, oh, go
1: ahead. No, I finished that point. I was going to take us back. I was going to backtrack a little bit.
0: I was going to say along those lines too, you, you have maybe a couple that is unmarried and living together, and they understand part of their repentance would mean having to to separate homes or and go separate ways. That way, they're no longer living in that sinful environment and temptatious uh, or uh, environment. But that would be another case where it would be hard to truly repent.
1: So I think that the story of the rich young ruler we mentioned earlier is telling because when Jesus says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, the point is we really have to be willing to put the Lord first and whatever that costs us. That's really what repentance is, is is making that resolve to put the Lord first. Let's, uh, let's take one more story. That's a picture of repentance. What about the, uh, the parable when Jesus tells three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. Um, I think we see a picture of the the spirit um uh, with which someone who's repented comes to the Lord,
0: yeah, yeah, you're talking about the prodigal son in Luke chapter six or, uh, fifteen excuse me so you so you called him the prodigal son, and that's what we
1: often call him. What does prodigal mean, guys? does it mean wasteful and uh yeah, yeah not it not you mean runaway, it means right. wasteful, yeah. So this was a wasteful son. He'd gotten, he'd asked for his inheritance early and it was given to him and he went out and he wasted it on ungodly living, riotous living, harlots and so on. And then when he was in a very bad way, he had a change
0: of heart. Yes, he did. Um, And in fact, the Bible says uh, in verse 18 of Luke, the 15th chapter, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. Um, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. But that, that's the point in the story at which you see that change of mind in him. And then the fruit of that change is him saying, you know what? I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, I, I'm I'm sorry. And I'm not even worthy to be one of your hired servants. Um, or And I'm not even, or excuse me, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was his attitude of repentance. And I think that's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. And also on the other end, I think the side we're, we're also supposed to see is how merciful the father was in accepting him.
1: And that's really the point in these three parables is the, the, the joy that there is when one uh, who is gone away into sin, comes back to the Lord, the, the joy with which the Lord receives him, the rejoicing amongst the angels in heaven. Um, in all three of these parables, you, you see that. So it is an encouragement to us when we have turned to sin to, to turn back to the Lord inwardly and then outwardly with the confidence that the Lord is going to joyfully receive us.
0: Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Drew. And as always, appreciate all the listeners. Um, If you have any questions, feel free to contact us or comment underneath and we'll be sure to get with you. So uh, Lord willing, we'll see everyone next Wednesday. Thanks, guys. Okay, Thank you.